0: You're listening to GMI, the Guitar and Music Institute. My name is Jed Brocky. This is episode number 51. Folks, well, you have been listening to the music of Trevor Gordon Hall. I'm really lucky to actually be looking at Trevor right now. He's somewhere in America, and he's, I think it's America, or it might be Canada.
1: Nope, no, US, that's right,
0: I'm in, Philadelphia. He's in Philadelphia, of course it is, because it says it right in front of me. And <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to talk all about his new release, which is the This Beautiful Chaos. And uh, it's a solo guitar release, and uh, it's very, very enchanting. So, welcome to the show, Trevor.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me. Great to talk to you.
0: Not a problem at all. Now, this is a quite an intriguing release. I just wanted to talk about you first of all. Well, I don't want to talk about you. You can talk about. <laughs> you can talk about me. That would be funny if I tell you all about you. <laughs> and then we'll go on to talk about the album and future plans, etc. So. Luckily, a huge percentage of the people that listen to the show are in the United States. And mm. hey, you're in the United
1: States. So yes. So <laughs> why don't you
0: tell them a wee bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm outside the Philadelphia area and I've been playing music professionally, I guess, about uh, 15 years or so. Um, I grew up in upstate New York in the Rochester, New York area. Um, so I started playing guitar there and then... Um, when I was about 10 years old and about 14, I moved to the Philly area. And, you know, for as long as I can remember, guitar has been something that I've just sort of grown up along with. I've Did your dad or mom play the guitar? Bizarrely, no. No musicians in the family, no musicians in the extended family. Um I do I well, actually, I do have one cousin who plays violin, and my grandpa played a little bit of piano. Um, but nobody had really I don't know where it came from, it was just sort of fire in the bones. Um, some of my early memories of experience of music, Uh, my mom did have a piano in the house and I remember sitting and and playing the piano and trying to pick out certain melodies that I was hearing in my head and and whatever that sort of spark was that ignited uh, in hearing something and then being able to play it, uh, I feel like that has been something I've tried to stay close to for the rest of my, you know, all the way up till now. So yeah, guitar player, uh, taught over the years as well and then uh, touring and recording, and so it's been uh, quite an adventure, but I'm uh, very grateful. It's been a crazy last year and a half, as it has been for all of us, but it's been a good recalibrating time as well.
0: Yeah, that thing about the piano and the house. everybody wishing that somebody could play it, you know?
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: And it's always out of tune. I remember when I was 13, my mum had an old piano, and they used to try and bash out tunes on it, so, and they're all in the scrap heap now. That's <laughs> the That's technology right. for you. Yep. How many albums have you released? Or is this your first? I don't think it is.
1: This is actually release number 12. Wow. Um, Yes, but within, within uh, those 12, there's been a couple of EPs, some shorter ones, some longer ones, just the way that listening and attention spans are nowadays. Sometimes I've experimented with shorter records and, uh, but no, this is, this has been, um, I was just getting all the materials ready for, uh, to release this and then counted it up and it was number 12, which sort of blew my mind, but I've always been sort of the show up every day and keep exploring. And so I don't know how many albums that means in the future, but I am just in love with the process. So I just keep following
0: that. When you say attention spans you're not talking about an older audience that's got dementia, but a younger audience <laughs> that can't actually concentrate. All,
1: all of them all and of everybody them. in yeah. between. Let's yep. do that thing. <laughs> that's yeah. the, right answer. Yeah, yeah, that is the right answer. So
0: it's quite <laughs> interesting because um, I have very strong views on this subject and I mm. see uh, you've racked up millions of views on Spotify. Mm. So what?
1: Yeah, I mean... Well, one, one thing that I find very fascinating about that, years ago, I signed with a record label called Candy Rat Records. Some of my favorite players at the time were signed to that, so it was a big deal. But I remember in preparing for that, I was really focusing, because Candy Rat, one of the very first viral videos on YouTube, uh, was uh, a guitarist named Andy McKee who's become a, just a dear, one of my best friends well, now.
0: that's weird you should say that, because that was exactly where I'm going. I can score that question off the <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, that went viral and it sort of, there was this interesting resurgence of acoustic guitar uh, happening. It became very video based. And so I was, I guess at the time I was thinking about the visual aspect of things. And interestingly enough, uh, this goes back to your question, I promise, focusing on the videos and trying to get all of that working and making sure that something looks appealing and the color grading is right and all of that. My most consumed material was on Spotify and it was some of my more melodic pieces. The pieces that I always thought I might not put on a record because they wouldn't look cool in a video or they were just too personal to me. And so what's interesting about that is, yes, all of these other I'm grateful for those streams on Spotify. But when I dig into the data, what seems to really respond is some of those pieces, as opposed to more of the upbeat rocker type pieces, uh, shock and awe as, as the guitar scene is, you know, sort of become now. It's almost like a competitive sport now. It's its a little tough, uh, but I just took mental note of that, that that what seemed to be some of the most personal pieces seemed to be the ones most resonating. Those were gathering more streams, they were getting more requests live, more tab sale, you know, people were interested in trying to learn that. And so for this new record, it was basically do a whole record of those songs. What are the songs that I really feel have a melody and a harmony that are not meant to be a visual thing, but like you totally are just immersed in a world of sound that's not necessarily YouTube based, but getting back to a a whole listening experience full length through an album.
0: You see that whole thing about looking at stats and seeing what's actually popular, and then write um, that can be a bit of a trap, can't it? You end up Absolutely. I mean, I remember writing some music for a band that I was in, and I I did a piece that was really quite... It was called Twisted to the Fore, and it was complex and odd, and I thought, no one's gonna like this. Of course, Mm. they loved it in (laughs) Germany. (laughs) So, um, and then you think, well, maybe I should write more of that. And that came not from Spotify, but it came from looking at returns from PRS. Mm -hmm. Is that what's happening now? Less returns from PRS, more looking at Spotify stats.
1: Yes and no. To some extent, I think just writing or composing for the medium is really a waste. I mean, that uh, will really bypass your own personal narrative many times. And and, uh, you don't believe in the notes the same way. However, that did give me confidence to release what I was already writing. It's all the stuff that I felt like was most personal. And that classic cliche that's become a cliche that is attributed to so many different artists and everything goes back to Einstein, too. But what is most personal is most universal. That was kind of a shocker for me where i realized i don't need to play this game i really want to write what seems to be the most true to me and then that seemed to be what was also resonating when i look at all the other stuff but i don't write specifically for those mediums i hope that makes sense
0: absolutely and one of the words that i've written down about your music is heartfelt so mm. you have toured through 17 countries what That's countries were
1: those Oh, man, I have a list on my. Well, what's great about Europe is that it's sort of like visiting a couple of states in the U.S. You can really knock out a bunch of them on a route. But yeah, so through around Europe and then the U.K. Did you visit Scotland at all? I have not been to Scotland yet.
0: Oh, we'll have to sort that out.
1: I've come close, but I need to get there at some point. I've not been there.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So how was that? Do you feel that once you'd been away and played in other countries, it gave you an authority about your own persona and musicianship when you went back to the States?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I feel like what I um, every every audience is different. And I feel like when I start a performance, no matter where it is, I'm sort of like looking, I'm sort of receiving what's happening in the room and responding to that. And I remember the first time I was in Europe, I played in Florence, Italy at this beautiful little club called Six Bars Jail. It's this little guitar community and club there. Some people spoke English there, but many of them didn't. And I had a translator whenever I would say something on stage and then they would translate it. And so you have to wait to tell if your joke was funny. You have to wait for this delay. (laughs) Killer for the jokes, eh? But I just, I loved the feeling of as soon as the music started, you could just feel this sort of barrier drop. There's no translation. It just is. It floats above language and culture. It was really beautiful. And so when I come back to the US, I feel much more invigorated in my own project. And I feel like I want to dig deeper into something that feels more universal. So I'm not just, well, what seems to be hip here in the States? I've always felt like my music has been sort of to break down cultural and language barriers and all that. And I felt the same thing in Poland and China and South America, each of these places where you have this barrier up to the point where even throughout soundcheck, you know, turn this up, turn this down, and then the performance starts. And it's just a wonderful feeling that I never can quite pinpoint, but it's just wonderful to feel that drop. And so on this new record, a couple of those tunes um, were written and sort of inspired in those travels and in some of those moments. So yeah, when I come back to the US, I'm grateful to be here, but I really love. To, to travel and experience the other cultures too
0: Trevor do you find any difference in terms of the response to your music depending on where you go
1: definitely I went to uh, there was one place in uh, somewhere in the middle of England and it was like just complete dead silence and I played and I just tried and I felt like I just wasn't
0: I've played down there I've played some of those places <laughs> I don't know the place quite. you're talking about actually
1: You know, I couldn't quite connect. And then at the end of the show, then they come up and they say, Oh, thank you. This, this really, I appreciated the song. And so it's, it's yet again, another, you know, each place that even happens in the U S different States have a sort of different feel vibe. Some of some places can be like super rowdy. And then they quiet down during the show. And some places are just very, very quiet because they're soaking in. It's not because they're not breathing. It's because they're, uh, they're just listening. Um, so that does changed the way that I perform and I've become more try to be more respond responsive to that uh, when I'm playing
0: I don't know if it's just my experience but do you find that some towns can have just they're either into it or they're not I mean for no rhyme no reason there's just or maybe just even audiences it's really bizarre
1: totally Sometimes it really resonates, and some people say, well, I've never heard this before, and that that really is interesting. And then there's others where it's just like, eh, I had a friend play once, um, actually the first time he went to Germany, and someone came up to him afterwards and said, I would appreciate your performance very much if you, if you decided to play in tune. Things like oh, that, that is where brutal. it's like... Yeah, which that can happen in West Virginia. I mean, anywhere, anywhere. But uh, you the learn. The answer
0: to that, surely, is to say, I was in tune. I think you better go and see a doctor. <laughs>
1: Well, depending on where you are, that could that could uh, escalate the situation, right? Perhaps. But no, I I feel like there's there's some sort of quirkiness to each place, and I used to sort of get nervous to try to fit all of that, and now I just sort of take it in because it's all fun. Everybody has their own really cool, unique way of saying things, doing things, how they clap. It's it's fun. It's a blast.
0: So I'm going to be real radio DJ here and say, uh, we're going to be looking at a new invention by Trevor in a second, but first. Let's listen to some more of his music. My name is Jed Brocky, you're listening to the beautiful tones of Trevor Gordon Hall, and that was a song called SoDaddy. Now, I did say before we listened to that, that Trevor is a an inventor. He has invented something called the kalimbitar. Was Now, that was a very interesting track there, Trevor. Was the kalimbatar used on SoDaddy?
1: On this track, sodade no, I didn't use the kalimbatar. Um, I did use a, uh, it's sort of making comeback, but it's a traditional uh, Portuguese guitar. It's a 10-string instrument called the Viola Amarantina, and that comes from a little village in the north of Portugal. Um, and so I fell in love with that while I was on tour there and was able to get one uh, here back in the US, and so composed that piece, and then everything else sort of built around that.
0: That's fairly interesting, and it was always going to be asked, but I'm getting... Um senses of ECM about your recording and Manfred Eicher it, that track kind of reminds me a little of Pat Matheny has he used that instrument?
1: I don't think so the, the instrument uh, as I understand the, the history of the instrument is sort of lost and just within the last I think 15-20 years they're trying to bring it back it's only from one small village but there's different versions of Portuguese guitar and some other different kind of versions of a stringed instrument uh, that I'm sure Pat has used I have been a massive fan of him forever uh, so he is in my brain part of every musical decision for sure um, but I don't know if he's used that one I'm not aware up to this point of anybody in North America having used that one specifically because it's it's such a, a rare and it making its comeback right now.
0: Well, it's incredible if he hasn't used it so big big <laughs> uh, props to you if you have used it and he hasn't Now, let's get back to this Columbitar tell, mm-hmm. tell the listeners all about it, how it came around.
1: I've always loved... Um, I just I've I love different sounds and to me I guess the driving engine of my entire project and all of my project has just been a fascination with sound I fell in love with the sound of a kalimba um, because here in Philadelphia we have a Philadelphia art museum and they had a you know big African exhibit and I saw somebody had this massive massive sound and yet it was coming from just something he held in his his hands and he was playing with his thumbs and you know I'd seen those before um, but for whatever reason it just really really shook me and I, I went home and tried to find different versions of it and uh, so i found one that was very small and i stuck it on top of the guitar because it was a little too quiet and so from there As it resonated through the chamber of the guitar i started to think well maybe there's different wood combinations that would be better maybe different scale you know if i can add more keys to it uh different sounds so from there it sort of just got out of control quickly and i started partnering with different luthiers let's try this version let's try this version we've tried all different sorts of metal all different sorts of kind of hardwood tropical hardwoods and i came up with a color coding system that i color the edges of the tines so i can see where i am in the whole mix and uh my whole goal up to that point was to just explore steel tines and steel strings coming out of the same chamber so it was like trying to combine two acoustic instruments but then playing live i'm plugging into all of my effects and delays and reverbs and all of a sudden, it took on a whole new character with that. So it just kept growing. And uh, I finished my most recent incarnation of this with a Master luthier in Canada named Sheldon Schwartz. Great name. He's a great name, great name. he's he's a, he is an epic dude for sure. And we took a couple of years to try to really fine tune and get it right. And my goal was to play Claire de lune. I, I spent a couple of years arranging I you were Claire going to de Lune. Say
0: your goal is beyond.
1: <laughs> well, that too that too
0: uh, <laughs> so have, have, but, you, have you managed have you got any video of you playing this
1: absolutely yep I can so send you some right, links
0: I would love that if, if uh, I'll, I'll put that on the, the page when we, we put this up because it'll be absolutely brilliant for people to see you actually playing that awesome and you're marketing this you're looking at you know getting the Chinese to make a million plastic versions of this
1: well, the funny thing is, so I uh, so I started this many years ago, and I think the first video that I had posted using this kalimba on the guitar was, gosh, 2008, 2009, something like that. And I just started doing a whole bunch of research because I kept hitting these roadblocks. Like uh, a certain note would hit, it would deaden the tines or the strings. And so I was trying to hunt down the person who did this already, because to me, it seems like a very obvious idea to put it on top of the guitar, and I couldn't find anybody. And so I was like, is this, is this, did I just stumble into something that could be my thing? Or I didn't no um, but as I as I started problem solving and just writing different tunes with it um, releasing videos I started to see, uh, some other players started to put kalimbas on their guitar, and I'm like, "Oh, this is really cool!" And now we're in an era now that's, that's very strange. I keep seeing things going viral on like TikTok and Instagram of I just invented a new instrument called the kalimbatar, and it was, you know, posted last week. And I'm like, "Okay, I mean, it's cool, but you know, give some props. Give some props."
0: That's why you need an international patent pending. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so I I went through the pro, you know, I I started the process with that, and I was working with a company to sort of launch that to the wider world because I wanted to to market it. I was going to work with a um they they were based in Texas, uh, but they had some manufacturing uh, factories in China. We were going to build a whole guitar kalimba combination and a whole method book series and all of that. Um, and so we pursued it, and it's you know sort of fell apart. And especially within the last year and a half, a lot of things have had to get shelved. But at the end of the day, for me, my interest in the kalimba and the guitar has always been a sort of personal exploration and so as much as I would like to eventually have that developed for the wider market um, I'm glad other people are experimenting with it because it's a cool sound and I think it defined a lot of my sound for a lot of years and I will, I still continue to use it, you know, and I still will, Um, but it's always been at the service of just sort of chasing the chills, you know, that's kind of my life motto. So someday that will come out.
0: What albums... Trevor, can folk hear it on that you've done?
1: Yeah, so I, I, the very first experimentation was an album called Finding My Way, and that was released in 2008. And then um, that was just a very small one, but then the first one that was designed, uh, I guess it was about the fourth one that actually worked, but it was a fully chromatic. I explored that, uh, an album called IntelliKey in uh, 2011. And then I expanded that a little bit more in uh, 2014, an album called Mind, Heart, Fingers. And then right after that, I released an EP of Eric Satie and Claude Debussy pieces for kalimba and guitar. Uh, That was in 2015. It's called Kalimba Tar Classics. So each record kind of, I'll get into a certain sound and experiment with it. And then right after that, I came out with an all electric guitar electronic project. This most recent project doesn't have kalimba on it, but it has six different guitars. So again, I'm just always searching for for different textures to sort of chase chase that thing in my mind that's like, Oh, that's cool, you know, I I like the sound of that.
0: You used another word that I've written down after listening to your album, and that was texture. But more than that later, I just wanted to talk about you've shared the, the stage with players like John Mayer, Steve Miller, Phil Keege. Now Will Ackerman, I just want to know, is Will Ackerman any relation relation to Jan Ackerman? I
1: actually don't know. I need to ask him about that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Many
0: ackerman will- no. It is in Holland, I'm sure, but, but I guess this is an American guy.
1: Yes, yeah, so he he is the one who started uh, the label Wyndham Hill Records. Now, I grew up with all of those all of those players, you know. That's that's sort of the texture, the wheelhouse I come from. Uh, but I've recorded a couple records with Will. We had a touring project together as well, so I'm in that world. But Wyndham Hill, he actually sold Wyndham Hill in '92 or '93, and has had you know various ventures, but he he still runs things out of his his uh, home and uh, studio in Vermont. Yeah, Wyndham Hill to me. That's one thing that I think I'm grateful. You know, no musicians in the house growing up, but my mom loved Wyndham Hill, and she had a record player. And I, I am old enough to know what that means. I know kids nowadays don't but well maybe they do because it's hip now but um i remember that feeling of putting the needle down and listening to aerial boundaries and george winston and will ackerman and those forming years i think just being a sponge hearing all of those sounds that still that still influences all of my decisions now i think for sure
0: it's funny i've got one of these electric it's made to look really old but it's actually brand new and it's got a a record player and you can also chuck in a a usb stick and it's got bluetooth i've got some old albums left one of them is one that your music kind of reminds me of without going over the top about Matheny. i can't Mm. say the name i always get it wrong but i put on new chatakawa is that right
1: Chautaticoa
0: it's one of his first albums and uh,
1: oh Chautau- oh chautauqua yes 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 yeah, sorry yeah yeah is it Chautauqua I think it's Chautauqua yeah I think so so
0: i take it that's a Native American name is it
1: I think so, if I remember I'm actually, because we're in the digital age right now, um, it's easy to listen through different artists catalogue and so I've been going back through his and I'm just at the point to start that one again, I want to say that came out in 77 but I think
0: you're absolutely right, the point is I put the record, thought, oh I've got a record player put the needle down and then within five minutes you're up having to change it over again so it's not exactly as I remember
1: (laughs) but what's cool is that it's 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 sort of uh, bucking the trend end of the playlist of this artist, next artist, next artist. And it's really getting into the world because as much as artists want to say they, especially right now, are just writing singles, it still comes from a collection or a season in life. And I still love the long form when an artist really dives into something and you sit with it and then if that shows up on a playlist later that's fine but i still love that idea of the long form and so i think the resurgence of vinyl is sort of a a wonderful buck of that trend
0: yeah i mean it is good because you get to tell a story through your album i I suppose on the flip side just to be devil's advocate as usual there's no room for fillers
1: (laughs) right right
0: (laughs) so anyway let's uh listen to some more music and let's listen to something from a a small a small clip from your album we're going to be listening to ortic blues and then we'll be talking more about this actual album Okay, well, if uh, any of you got the album out there by Trevor Gordon-Hall, you'll know it's ontic blues, not ortic. So there you go. I can't even read my own writing. <laughs> Trevor, I want to talk a little about the album itself now. I've written down some just just very brief thoughts about it. I really felt it, it was interesting. It was heartfelt. It almost, in a sense, heading towards a sort of meditational, transcendental vibe. Was that your intention?
1: I suppose that uh, that state of mind is something that's always interesting to me. I don't know if that was my initial intention. Some of my initial intention was because I had explored the kalimba for so many years, I wanted to just write a guitar record, which sounds funny to say, you know, because it quickly escalated to six different guitars being used. For me, it was very technically commanding, but also I really wanted to make sure that every note on this came across with ease, and actually I felt like it was the best version of that note. So for all the guitar players out there, basically worry about how to get, if we get a couple of buzzes in the notes, but we get through the passage, that's fine. Um, but with this one, I just, the angle of the finger touching the strings, the kind of guitar, how I'm against the microphone, I really wanted to to just dive in to make something that's so... it was the most complex project I've ever undertook and yet it feels the most sort of free flowing and meditative. I guess my intent was was a sort of calming, you know, calming season uh, of my life. But yeah, I've enjoyed meditation for years and years, so I'm sure that plays a part for sure.
0: From a technical standpoint, it would be tricky because to put not too fine a point on it, it is bathed in reverb.
1: Mm -hmm. I used reverb on this record as another instrument. and And I did that intentionally because I'm doing that in my live show now. And the way that I do that is I'm sort of live mixing the reverb. So when I play a note, I can actually extend the decay of just that note. While I go on to the next phrase, and so I'm sort of like it's almost like I'm at a studio desk live and turning up the, a certain note, you know, frequency of the reverb and bringing it back down. And I wanted to mimic that in this record so that it actually, for example, the first track when you hear. The notes go a little bit higher. It extends the decay, so it gives you that sort of floating feeling. I try to sculpt the sound with with reverb after the the instrumentation is in there.
0: This whole texture, this is all part of the textures approach. Is it also a way for a solo artist to, in effect, multiply their own presence in a sense?
1: Yeah, I think so. Because when, especially when you're listening, if you have headphones on, a guitar will fill the entire frequency spectrum. You hear this massive sound, and then if you can actually give not just width to the sound but also height and depth I just feel like it gives this whole new experience um, that I wanted to experiment with this and part of the reason I uh, uh, went with um, I recorded with Corin Nelson is Grammy winning producer and he won a Grammy with will Ackerman years ago uh, some of my favorite acoustic guitar recordings were of what Corin had had done and he is just a master of that technique of layered reverbs but in the end you hear the reverbs but they Serve the the flow of the music. It's not just drowning in this digital sound. It to me, maybe we went a little overboard in some spots, but I I feel like as a cohesive thing it, that's what gives it its its character and I know I kept saying to him let's do more a little more a little more and he's like okay okay um, but he was just a master of knowing how to balance the frequencies of the decay of the reverb but also the individual instruments because there's a baritone guitar there's a high strung guitar there's electric there's a lot of things to consider mixing an acoustic guitar record and, and he having him at the helm for all of that was just unbelievable
0: there's no doubt it's beautifully recorded just a pure t- technical thing. What mics were used? Because they sound expensive.
1: They were. We used, um, oh, is, Neumanns, I want to I can We, yeah, we used the Neumanns, the U87s, but they were like one after another in the serial, uh, serial numbers. And then, uh, there was two other ones. We did some pencil mics and then, yeah, the, the condensers picking up everything and then, um, a direct line in. And I learned this technique years ago, recording that if you have under saddle pickup, that can sound extremely, Harsh plugged in direct to anything um, I don't have an under sound but I have an under Soundboard transducer that these Three kind of pickups that hear the resonating of the top and again if you plug that in direct It doesn't sound great but If you roll off all of the high And only use it for the low end you get this really kind of nice low foundational creamy base to the mix. And then you put the Neumanns on there and then uh, the pencil mics were this really high-end detail. You're not looking for one source to do the whole thing. You're looking for one source at where it shines in the frequencies and just use it for that. And then another source for another. And then in the end you put it all together and it becomes this larger than life thing. Like you're listening in front of the guitar and also inside of it.
0: Well, I'm loving this. Uh, I wonder how many people that are listening to this do what we're going on about. But
1: that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the fascination of, of how much care it takes. It's not just hit record and go like there is such a, uh, all of the things that you take for granted when you listen to a record, record, uh, that is the end of a long series of decisions to get to that point, and hopefully to that feeling.
0: They, they don't care Trevor, they're just eating a packet of crisps, <laughs> or as in your country, chips. You know? <laughs> it was quite interesting, the use of different tunings on the Chase the Chills, and was it a low A flat on momentum and meaning, is that correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, I did. Yeah. I did an E flat on that one. Um, I have had a sort of resurgence of my love of standard tuning for guitar players out there. And so a lot of this record is kind of standard tuning, but I'm playing it in different pitches. Chase the Chills is actually standard tuning, but it's on a baritone and the baritone is tuned C to C. And then, yeah, for momentum and meaning, that was just E flat to, you know, tune it a little bit down just because I felt like the guitar at in that tuning it sang a little bit better and again those are like the final 0.2 percent of a sound that someone will perceive but if i perceive it in a way that's interesting then i play it differently and i think that comes across also
0: um, i felt the link chase the chills Quite modal that, that piece.
1: I'm kind of weaving in and out of major and minor, yeah. and that's one of my one of my loves to be able to to do that with melody and harmony. There's a couple of those here in this record with some of the interesting chord changes that I have loved, and I wanted to find a way to you know tie those together melodically in a way that you're I'm switching to another key, but it's so subtle it doesn't feel jarring. It's actually quite smooth. But if you break it down, there is some really bizarre. Ch- changes that i'm going in and out of
0: i felt that know thyself was harmonically quite adventurous and broader in its timbre do you want to talk about that track
1: yeah so yeah i started uh so that is on a track uh, a guitar that i have from a um a luthier here in pennsylvania area uh named mike haney and it's this small little sort of parlor guitar type uh type instrument but i put nashville tuning on it so i don't know if you know what that is but it's basically if you just take the the, a 12 string guitar pack and just put the high strings on that's what it becomes and the interesting thing about that is the g where the d and g strings will sit the g is actually the highest in pitch so the b and e get switched and all that means is that it just sort of reshuffles the brain on how to approach playing chords and melody and i first started Experimenting with that sound on a tune called The Blue Hour, which is on uh, um, a, a record called Mind Heart Fingers. But then, Know Thyself, I just had a couple of those chords under my fingers and I, I started to just see where it went. It, I actually wrote that uh, after the first day of recording Mind Heart Fingers. That was my first day recording with Will Ackerman. I was at this dream studio and I was just a nervous wreck. And I got back after and felt like I blew it. This is the worst. And these chords just sort of emerged. And I thought, this is. This is something that's not for these sessions, but I just kept playing it because it helped calm me. And then that ended up showing up on this record. And then from there, I also have the viola. Amarantina is on there serving some of the background chords. Um, And then I have my Schwartz, my Sheldon Schwartz guitar. And so the combination of those to build this, you know, big sound was really, really fun. But it started off as kind of like a real, just sort of meditation, catch your breath type thing.
0: I wanted to ask you about your titles. Um, One of the titles of your, one of your, songs is at peace with the struggle so what's the struggle
1: (laughs) i i suppose there are specific and also just like broad meanings, so people can sort of uh take whatever they will from that i felt like uh you know i'm 36 now so i feel like an old man but when i turned 30 (laughs) (laughs) well you're 37 38 right
0: that's it yeah yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i feel like so much of my 20s is this sort of struggle of which path to go down are you doing the right thing you don't want to feel like years from now that maybe you made the wrong decisions or whatever and and i and i've come to the conclusion that 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 panic is really universal all of us go through it and making peace with the fact that it will always be there is actually the start of a pretty content life and so a lot of those core changes a lot of the authors i was reading at the time the slide guitar that's in that is really Really just echoing that sort of coming to peace there's some really jarring chord key changes in that piece but that's sort of like life throws different things at you but you can find a melody to thread all of that together and that's where that that sort of uh slide guitar comes in so that was a, that was a very personal that was a very personal narrative tune for me
0: i'm sure you want people to listen to this album and enjoy and get from it from from an artistic point of view and just to enjoy it in its own right. But I really do think there's a a movement on, and I don't know if it's because of what's happened over the last couple of years, of people trying to find more meaning. And maybe that may or may not include organised religion and it may include things like meditative sessions is this something where you would like to push your music have you ever thought of pushing your music into that arena
1: yes and no you know i grew up in a a conservative christian home here in america and my dad was a professor and i actually went to school for philosophy theology and so my interests have always been as i've sort of grown out of that world and i'm looking back and just trying to trying to make sense with the world I grew up in, what are the things that I deeply hold and want to pass to my daughter and the, you know, how I practice all that uh, as a family. Those are all very personal things to me and I think are really driving in, in every record. It's sort of a, a further exploration in that in that direction. I don't know if I've ever considered something specifically marketed towards that group, but my hope is... Is
0: there a part in the back of your mind where you can hear your dad saying it's off the devil, all that stuff? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Probably, <laughs> yeah. But I know you know. I, I talked to him teenly, and we. I I was always raised to think he got his doctorate and became a professor. And so, uh, part of my exploration has always been to really, to really dig into a question and not arrive where I was supposed to, but to really follow wherever it leads, as as uh, 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 Socrates says. I and I feel the same way about my musical aspirations too. You know, follow the inspiration where it leads. It's always this driving interest. And my hope, obviously, is that that feels universal and can resonate with lots of different people. But as far as the marketing department, I don't have a marketing department. So maybe someday if I do, they'll be able to get in the right spot. But I do feel the same thing that you just said, there is sort of a sense of a deeper meaning. And uh, I think a lot of us do get sort of fed up with some of the the crazy things that come and go with politics and organized religion and all that but there is the deeper quest of what it means to be human and i feel like that is the driving thing in in my work
0: from my perspective that comes through loud and clear trevor Mm. i'm saying that the album's already been launched yes yeah because um just for the listeners out there we wanted to do this interview earlier but Sheffer had some recording work to do and teaching work in another part of the state, so we had to push it back, which is a bit of a shame, but hey-ho, better late than never. I take it they can get your album on iTunes, etc.?
1: Mm-hmm. iTunes, Spotify, basically everywhere in the universe where you can get it. I also sell uh, on my website, I have uh, little thumb drives with my whole catalog on it, CDs, and also this is the first record I've ever done that will be a record. I have final. It's on its oh, way. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, so I really wanted to go all out with this one, and um, there's the experience of sitting and listening to something and also looking at the pictures and reading the thank yous, and I've always loved that, and so I wanted to return to that and, and go overboard with all these other items because yes you can you can stream it so please do that uh, but there is kind of a, a an extra thing when you're holding it in your hand
0: you know in that part of America that's got all the fires are you
1: no I'm on the opposite side of. thank yep. goodness for that you can <laughs> watch know. them
0: melt um, <laughs> but actually one of my other podcasts so talking to he's a singer songwriter this guy an Englishman brilliant guy he went down the whole route of getting them made up in Germany mm. it's just a brilliant thing for him and And actually, people love buying these things, even, you know, at gigs the big question is, do they listen to them or just keep them as a keepsake? But in a sense, if it's there, it may well get played.
1: Yep. What I have figured out is that there is a Different thing for me as a fan of other bands. You know, if I have a record in hand, I may not listen to it, but it is a memory item, a tangible thing. You know, either I get it signed or on the website. I so I figured out like with with every purchase of a vinyl, you get the automatic high res file download, so you can have it in your digital world as well, the high res as well as the vinyl. So I I I hope that products like that will come back in general, because I think as a fan, I like the digital for the ease of use, but I also like the tangible uh, for the experience, too.
0: Going forward, Trevor, what are the plans? And I think a recording will be in there somewhere.
1: Yeah, I'll keep recording. I have a couple of different side projects. That, um, there's a great singer-songwriter in the UK named 1403, and we have kind of a duo project together. Uh, I'll do another one of those records, another project probably with uh, a couple of other guitar player friends. But then getting back into touring and figuring out what's left of the live music scene after all of this.
0: Yeah, that, that'll be interesting.
1: Yes, that'll be very interesting to for that figure one. out. Yep. Yeah. And I don't I don't know what what comes of all of this. Um, And I know every musician has gone through uh, just a nightmare of a time. I've been thinking a lot about uh, the times in life. It's never static. It never stays one way. So when things are really bad, they will get better. And when things are really great, buckle up because it's going to get bad, you know, so I feel like there is a lesson to be learned in all of this and also to diversify what our approach is. If live shows don't end up being something that come back with a vengeance, you know, I have other things I'm focusing on. I, I teach guitar courses through a uh, a company called JamPlay. So JamPlay and True Fire are now uh, the same company. And so I've enjoyed doing that. And that's kind of a new way of interacting, teaching pieces of the song. So people are listening to the music. And then I'm walking through how they play it and so there's a, a different way of, of interacting so this will force some innovation but it's going to be a little painful in the process not that it hasn't been already uh, but I think there's some opportunities we'll see we'll see where all this lands but let's let's all keep hope
0: Trevor thanks very much for spending this time with me and I've got to say this has been one of the more thoughtful and uh, measured and deep conversations that I've had because usually I just talk utter nonsense <laughs> from beginning to end as everyone will testify if they've listened to the podcasts but I, I wish you all the best I love what you're doing and just basically over providing I think it's, I've heard one or two very well known guitarists who will remain nameless who just don't want to they, they want the old ways back, they don't want to, mm. uh, they don't see why they should work for nothing etc etc but you know unless we take things forward and, and see that we've got to use different ways. We're all sunk.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. We have to embrace this it's, it's I think that the streaming thing was not meant to replace the old sails, but at least to turn the ship away from just pirating. It's a step you know, in the right direction. It's not the right direction yet, but um, yeah, I, I've been glad to talk through all of this stuff with you. And yeah, any listeners out there, just yeah, stay strong. I know these are tough times, but hopefully this can recalibrate you into why you do this in the first place. And yes, we have to you know live and make money and eat and all of that. Maybe this could spawn a new era in your own creativity of why. Why, why you do this in the first place
0: well thanks Trevor all your links to all your sites and everything will be on the page so if you come over to the guitar music Institute website folks and look up at podcasts if you've got a you know a big screen it'll be up the top it's always a menu item go, go to podcasts and you'll see Trevor's actual podcast page as well as hopefully some video of him playing um his invention which the name has just
1: (laughs) kalimbatar
0: kalimbatar and obviously links to trevor's website and where you can buy his album so trevor brilliant i will hopefully talk to you again sometime
1: that sounds great thank you so much this was a pleasure
0: cheers man bye
1: cheers take care